What's up, friends from around the world? Welcome to the second ever Great Debate Roundtable. Not two, not five, but ten Israelis and Palestinians coming together for a vibrant discussion. Today we're going to touch on many different topics from narratives, reconciliation, moving forward, and better understanding our, our respective cultures, how they differ, and how they are alike. It's going to be an exciting session. Let's see what happens. We're going to start like we normally do. We'll do a brief little round of introductions and then we'll get straight into the topics themselves. So without further ado, our 10 guests, uh, we could we could just take it from, from the right. So Jason, all you. All right. Hi guys. My name is Jason. Uh, this is my fourth time appearing on the Great Debate channel. I'm a um, Australian-American uh, Palestinian of Palestinian heritage uh, living in Perth. Um, and I'm passionate about creating dialogue that uh, uh, brings us uh, closer to understanding each other. Hi, my name is Danny. Uh, raised in LA, live currently in Israel. Uh, BNMA in Middle Eastern political science, and passionate about starting dialogue between two sides. Hey, uh, my name is Omar. Uh, I'm a Palestinian, uh, and originally my family is from the village of El Qubeba, uh, uh, originally in Hebron. Um, and as you can tell from my accent, uh, I'm an American uh, from the East Coast, and I'm currently a PhD student. So. That's me now. Okay, so my name is Amiel Ben Shimon. Uh, I live in Jerusalem. Uh, I'm Israeli uh, from France. I moved there when I was uh, 11. And, uh, and I came also to have a dialogue and to actually solve the conflict, try by my way. Hi, I'm Rafi. I live in uh, Jerusalem. I work in biotechnology and I uh, like to promote dialogue and uh, uh, interesting ideas to help with the Palestinians really um, Hi, uh, I'm going by Ammar. Uh, myself and uh, Karma will be uh, anonymous for the past. Hi, I'm De Karma, okay. Uh, hi, Chance, I'm, I'm a uh, Palestinian from the West Bank. Uh, uh, do I go? Uh, wait, hold on. We, we seem to have uh, D Daniel and uh, Amar speaking at the same time. I think it just yeah, broke up okay. a little bit. So, uh, Daniel, real quick. Uh, Amar still live in Trump. Okay. Sorry. Did I, did I drop out? Uh, uh, maybe Karma goes? Hi. Um, my name is Karma. I'm Palestinian from Ashkelon, originally. Uh, I live most of I live, I live most of my life in Gaza, and right now I'm studying abroad, and that's pretty much it. I hope we can have a fruitful discussion and debate today. Fantastic. Can uh, you guys hear me? Oh. Yeah. <laughs> Loud and clear. Right. Yeah. Hi, my name is 
Daniel, um, born in Israel. Uh, though I live most of my life in Canada, so I'm a college student. Uh, and yeah, I'm passionate about the Middle East in general, and especially Jews, and giving our perspective to other people around the world and learning other people's perspectives. Um, hi, my name is Izzy. I'm I was born and raised in Jordan. I'm a Palestinian refugee by birth. Both of my parents are Palestinian. I have a master's degree in environment management and policy, and I've always believed that uh, dialogue is the way forward. And oh, yeah, I don't that. think we can hear you, Izzy. I hear, I hear Izzy. Did you all hear me? Yeah, I heard you. Uh, Izzy, were you finished or? Yes, yes. Awesome, great. Uh, so look, as we can see that when you have 10 on the screen, it doesn't look as cool as when there's nine on the screen. So I'm going to be hopping in and out. I, I am the moderator after all. So seeing me is not that important. Uh, so I'm going to lay low and just chime in when it's relevant. Um, just a few quick reminders, you know, if you're just finding out about this channel for the first time, we do awesome live discussions every week. Uh, it's now coming to the point where it's more, more than once a week. Uh, so please like and subscribe if you like what you see. We also have a Patreon where you can support us for as little as a dollar a month. This really helps us continue to grow and, and build our operation. Any amount is appreciative. We have a Discord where we have daily conversations, both in text and voice. If you don't know what Discord is, well, you're going to have to join our Discord and find out. Can one of our community members just drop that in the chat? Because I know y'all are here, so put that in the comments so people can join. After this discussion, we're going to move it over to the Discord to continue the discussion in voice for a little after party, so just keep that in mind. Before we get into uh, the first topic, uh, Amar, you mentioned briefly about you and Karma being anonymous. You broke you broke up, so I, I'm not sure if you explained why, but can can one of you just briefly explain uh, the, the anonymity and the importance behind it? Um, sure. Yeah. I mean, obviously, for people who live in uh, Palestine, in terms of like freedom of speech and whatnot, uh, it's not quite the same. It sort of varies depending on where you're from. But another part of it is even if you, you know, even if you have some some uh, birth to speak freely, you can't really speak your mind, and you really can't uh, get one. So uh, I think it's a lot easier. Um, for people to speak anonymously uh, uh, in order to articulate how they how they really feel, uh, sort of uh, not feeling any pressure to to not criticize you know certain figures, and everyone's situation is different depending on their family. Uh, others are rather not just themselves and their own security. Um, so that, that's most of it. Karma. Uh, thank you, Amar. Uh, Karma, I don't know if, if you heard that. But, um, Karma, are you trying to speak right now? Yeah, I think you're Yes, right. can, can you guys hear me? Yeah, yeah. If, if yeah. you want, feel uh, free to build on what Amar said regarding anonymity. Yeah, total, I'm totally with Amar on this, but, like, uh, 
In Palestine, specifically, there's some contention in being like uh, publicly spoken. Uh, in my case, I can't really do it, like for, for security reasons and many reasons as well. So, like, it's, uh, I think it's better this way in our case. And I hope you guys like have no problem with it. the anonymity part. That's yeah, you, you know, our, our approach is, you know, obviously want people to show their faces, but we're very under, you know, we're very understanding of, of the reality of the situation. And we do understand that it's not viable for everybody to be able to come and show yeah. their face or even have their real name. So for us, more important than someone showing their face, it's that they're actually willing to engage in these important topics. So that that's most important. And we don't want somebody's need for anonymity to be a reason why they can't uh, engage in dialogue. So we're completely cool doing it this way. It's great to have you here. It seems like Amar dropped out, but he should be back. We'll start. We'll, we'll get started. We'll start with something fun. We are going to talk about, you know, we're speaking about a conflict that arouses immense emotion. So I figure it, there's some benefit to starting with some fun stuff. So let's talk a little bit about culture. Um, Israeli culture, Palestinian culture, how are they different? How are they alike? How are they shared? This will lead us into uh, the conversation on reconciliation and a path forward. Uh, it's at least in my belief that if we could begin to, A, respect each other's culture, but B, build a unified, a shared culture, well, that would be an obvious step in the right direction. Um, but I will leave it to you. So whoever, whoever wants, the floor is yours. Uh, culture. I can call on individuals, but uh, I figured people would just be hopping, hopping right in. Rafi, I know you have a lot to say about uh, the cultures as as a scholar, the scholarly type that you are. Thank you, thank you. Uh, sure. I mean, Israel Israeli culture is not really like a monolith. It's very it's very diverse. Like rather than Jerusalem, it's quite different than than people in Tel Aviv and in other parts. And Jerusalem culture is very. We're very mixed between like Jews and Palestinians. Rather, there's like 350,000 Palestinians and maybe 600 and something thousand Jews. So I go to the grocery store and like half the people I see are Palestinian. And and we're very like comfortable with that. It's It feels almost like when you're in Jerusalem, you're not really in a conflict the same way. Even though we I know there's not real quality here, it's not nearly... It's not literally like as, as intense as places like the West Bank or as other people feel and also different than maybe people in Tel Aviv who sort of feel somewhat apart from the conflict because they're like 25 kilometers away and there's a big wall in between them and and, and the Palestinians and they're like in a 95% uh, Jewish area. So it, Jerusalem culture is also very um, conservative and somewhat religious in a way. Like most of the people here are, are religious, but, but kind of laid back and um, yeah, like, uh, you know, you, a lot of the Jews here are, like, very uh, traditional. Like, I came here, I guess, because my, my parents actually moved here, and they were, like, religious Zionists and sort of a spiritual, you know, renaissance for Jewish people to come back to the, the central hills of, of Judea, Samaria, Jerusalem, and sort of feel the, you know, the spirituality, the presence of God in your in your daily life. And to be in a place where, like, being like every restaurant is kosher, and all the food is like, as opposed to living where I grew up in America, where everything was quite, uh, you know, with, like being Jewish was a very like niche thing. And there was like a handful of places you could eat. And uh, so it's it's like being normal almost as being Jewish in, in here. And at the same time, it's 
you have quite a lot of exposure to, to Palestinians and to a lot of other cultures because there's a lot of tourists here and a lot of, well, normally when there's not Corona. And so there's, there's a wide range of cultures. I don't want to take too much time, but I can, uh, you know, there's, there's like Mizrahi culture, which is like more traditional. They're like religious in, uh, in, in their belief and their ideology, but in the practice, a little more, a little more liberal. You have ultra Orthodox or they don't like to be called ultra Orthodox Haredim or like, you know, very, very specific on following all the rules very, very meticulously. And they're, uh, you know, not, they're not, they don't particularly define themselves as Zionists because they have all sorts of gripes with Zionism. Not necessarily that means they're like supporting the Palestinians, but they have their own sort of issues with, with the, you know, the secularism of Zionism. And then you have like the secular Israelis, like sort of the Ashkenazi secular Israelis with a, a totally, you know, they, they're the most like sort of traditional original Zionist in a way. And they, they're, you know, almost like almost European and very modern in their culture. And then, and then over time, it sort of becomes kind of a soup. Like my, my wife is Iraqi and I'm Ashkenazi. And so my kids, like who knows what they are anymore. They have like one grandparent who's one set of grandparents were Iraqi, one set of parents were like Ashkenazi American. And I don't know if they've even thought about what, how they define you. When you're yourself. my age, you don't, you don't even think about like what you are. Cause you're like, you're mixed with so many things. So it's almost like it doesn't even, you're just Jewish. Yeah. You just think about, I'm not going to be like, oh, I'm like three eighths Ashkenazi, four eighths um, Sephardi. Like you, you don't, you don't think of it like that. It's really yeah. mixed, I'd say, especially in the, the Tel Aviv, Gushdan area. Yeah. Most people are mixed today. Um, my husband and I talk about it a lot because I personally always ask people where their background is from because it gives me a better understanding. I still, coming from America and then coming to Israel, I see the difference between Mizrahi and Ashkenazi. My mother's Ashkenazia, but like she's from Argentina, so it's a bit different. And my father is Iraqi. So there's a whole different like, you know, culture. Um, but I do think that there's this kind of like ultra culture, yeah, ultra identity of Israeli. Like you can see whether Mizrahi or Ashkenazi if they come from Israel, like Bluntstones or Sandalit Shoresh, yeah. and just the way they speak, it's kind of like Daniel said, kind of see it less. Yeah. It's like in the process of becoming like, like a melting pot, but like a melting pot where we're watching it happen. We're like at the earlier stages of this melting pot, like making Israelis more so. Yeah. yeah. And now well, there's a similarity to be drawn even. between uh, Jew, like the the melting pot within the within Jewish society and the multi ethnic multi religious uh, uh, society that Palestinians have, it's 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 uh, so we we it's it's kind of nice to draw that similarity that both of our uh, societies have a plethora of different um, ethnicities. Um, the only difference is we would be multi religious, whereas. Uh, Jewish society would just be secular and or like and and uh, and uh, re religious. So um, uh, both uh, cultures um, uh, have a sense of multiculturalism within their respective cultures. There's also a lot to say that's common between us, right? Like the Israelis and the Palestinians whether regarding food specifically, or I can say like from my Mizrahi side of the family, 
that there's a lot of things that I connect to with just Middle Eastern culture in general, specifically. In the parenting, the parenting too is like pretty similar. You could you could compare that to like parenting, like food. It's it's pretty similar. Even oh, in some ways, Ashkenazi parents could kind of like, in a way, they can be similar. Maybe not like in the same way as Sephardim, but they're definitely they definitely they're different than like the typical like Anglo type parents you have in um america so it's like really yeah they, they, they are similar um my my exposure to medicine and culture being in diaspora um is probably different than what it is like being in palestine but um i'd like to talk about the heritage and I feel like it's more focused, my, my exposure has been focused about the connection to the land and cultivating and harvesting and um, things like this, more or less. Um, in terms of similarities between the Jewish culture and the Palestinian culture, I, I like one thing I was, I always heard my Jewish friends talk about was the Jewish mother guilt, which I think we also have, and that's a big similarity. Um, and this is something we can actually, you know, um, have so many conversations over. We can complain together about it. Yeah, and um, th th there's this point that I uh, I was talking to a modern on the uh, sort of multi-ethnic uh, national identity that like um, Palestinian comprises. I mean, um, you have this tremendously complicated heritage where. You have like, you know, Admanite, you know, Ishmaelite Arab tribes, mm -hmm. Yemeni Arab tribes that had their cultural birth and the Naab and like the Gev region and uh, deserts and then moved and moved back in the Pasastad era. And the Palestinian identity really is this like heritage of just the descendants of people who were there. And that's that's everything from, you know, uh, yeah, like Arab tribes that moved in and back um, and these clans that sort of built up a lot of the cities that you see today in the villages and whether it's, you know, uh, in the times of like Sahil Omar in, in Akka or, uh, you know, uh, Bethlehem, Janine, uh, Nablus, all the old cities in particular. I mean, you have, you, you have people who, I mean, can look at some of the buildings in the land and, I mean, they have like a great-grandfather who, who built it. Um, and it's extremely inclusive in the sense that it, you know, it, it didn't really emerge as a distinct it sort of emerged as a really distinct nationalist identity, although it had some earlier history in like the times of Muhammad Ali Basha, but it didn't really refer to like a strong nationalist concept until really in response to the conflict where all the people who had lived in the land, these different clans, the Tukans, the, you know, uh, Jarrars, the Nimrs, uh, Barhuthis, uh, all these different clans with different histories, some, you know, having migrated there in the, crusader era some having been there since roman times some having moved more recently it had this like complicated interplay and this complicated relationship but now they they sort of forged a common identity and a common nationalist concept um after the uh you know uh, dissolution of the Ottoman empire um and that's 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 really sort of what they all have in common i mean it can even include ethnic jews and samaritans and uh you know, uh, Turks and Caucasians. So it's really, 
it's really like a loose ethno-national group in the sense that there's all this intermarriage and shared heritage between all the people who live there. But fundamentally, it's it's a yeah, it's a it's a nationalist movement. Can, yeah, I can think you guys hear me? Sorry. Oh no, go ahead. Oh, it's fine. Yeah, I, I just wanted to, you know talk about what uh, Amar said, like, if you look at the Palestinian dialects, like, it's an extremely small land, but, like, if you go to, like, the next village, it might sound completely different, and especially in the diaspora, so, like, I, I grew up in Amman until I was seven, so I, I grew up in a Palestinian community there, and, like, you have people from Ramla, from, uh, you know, Al-Khalil, Hebron, and, you know, all over the place, really, and you, you kind of, like, ever since the Nakba, there was, like, this like mixing, you know, of uh, distinct like subcultures present um, uh, that just I, I guess added more, you know, to the culture over time. Just wanted to add that. Um, what does I, Palestinian like being Palestinian mean to you guys? When I say you guys, I mean the Palestinians, of course. So um, for me, it has been associated with the struggle for justice. That's what it has been associated with. But also, again, I, I go back to the connection to the land. There's that, and it's not about the land, it's a different thing. Perhaps we will talk about this later, but um, one thing I I feel I, I, I identify in Palestinians in diaspora is their need to cultivate the land around them. So like, for example, my, my, all of my uncles have their own houses and they're like, they're, they're obsessed with having um, a garden and a producing garden, a garden that actually brings our produce. Um, and I think that's like, that's part of, of their nostalgia for what their life has been or could have been like. And, um, that's been my perception of being born and raised here to a Palestinian family. Um, but yeah, mostly right now I feel it's about the national, the national aspiration, which I think came about as a reaction to the, to the conflict, to how this whole thing started in the very beginning. Um, what kind of reminds me? Oh, sorry. I was just going to say, uh, what Palestinian means to me is being a part of a multi-ethnic, multi-religious, inclusive society that embraces uh, uh, our multiculturalism. But uh, but at the same time, it's uh, cultivating that culture on the back of uh, having been demogra uh, demographically replaced or reversed um, and spread out into the diaspora. So, uh, like, a lot of our diaspora culture, I would presume anyway, would have been formed off the back of that. And that sort of uh, has, like, you know, obviously created some sort of um, uh, need to for diaspora Palestinians to reconnect and to figure out. So it's like trying to learn a culture that we've been sort of, you know, denied by the virtue of the history that has happened. Um, and so I believe that we have a strong opportunity uh, in this age and this time 
to come and form a strong foundation on what it means to be Palestinian and how how that identity can coexist with our uh, Jewish cousins who have the same right of self-determination that we do um, and that we, you know, uh, would like to see in the near future, hopefully. Yeah. Uh, any of the other Palestinians? Yeah, I... Like, Omar wants to say something like that's fine. No, like if you're in the, like if you join the diaspora, especially here in the United States, like it's like because there's so much, I guess you can call it uh, assimilative forces outside. You you tend to like you get very excited when you meet other Palestinians because they have some shared story, you know, uh, with you and. Um, like it, it, depending on where you live, like originally I'm from the south uh, in the U.S. So um, because uh, like land <laughs> and uh, I guess uh, closer knit families are more common in the south, uh, you tend to retain uh, that aspect. Um, you know, of like it fits very well with Palestinian culture. So you know, it, it's like I, I I don't know how to explain it, but like. Like w whether it's the food, uh, how we talk, uh, our mentality for better or for worse, uh, like it, it, it's all included in you know what it means to be Palestinian. So, the Palestinian aspiration, self-determination. Hold on, Danny. I just wanted. To give Amar and uh, Karma the opportunity to, to respond to that question as well. Uh, Karma, do you want to take lead or do you want me? Uh, you go first, Amar. Um, I mean, what does it mean to me? Uh, I don't know. I, I grew up in a very, uh, like a clan, uh, strong sense of like a clan, uh, or a connection to sort of you know, a particular village, a particular town, and then like an an ancestry. And so there's a real sense of just like, I don't know, you're just like walking around a place that that your father or your grandfather or your great-grandfather literally built. Um, so it's, it's hard to explain. It's not food. It's not the, the language. It's, it's literally just the only place in the world that's home. Um, you know, I'm overseas at the moment, and it's like, uh, the the colors are different everywhere else. Like literally, the world is a different color. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I I think it's it really is about a very profound connection to the land and that defining uh, your sense of self, which is I think a big part of the identity as well. Like it's a collectivist society. Um, you are born and you know who you are. It's in your last name. It tells you, you know your your ancestry to some extent and your story when you got there when you left for a lot of the arab tribes i mean not not very long ago there was still like a, a yemeni conflict you know people tribes that were still still had rivalry based on based on uh their heritage from 800 bc like literally whether they were you know from the mustarab like uh or pure arabs there from yemen and they sort of carried that over 
And then you have like a bit like the Houthis and other old families who weren't even necessarily ethnically Arab who pick and could like literally pick a side and have been there for like a thousand years. Um, so it's hard to explain. I mean, like, I remember being able to talk to my grandfather, tell him the name of anyone in, in town. He, he would tell me, and he knows where they're from and what their history is and what their dealings with them have been from. So, I mean, yeah, it's your whole sense of self. Um, and then beyond that, I think the and the struggle is a big part of what Palestinian means to a lot of people. I mean, that's what brought all these clans together who didn't necessarily all get along. There was a sense of unity. And one of the things I think Palestinians hate most is the Inkisan, the, the factionalization that exists today. Because the strongest part of the identity is the sense of a shared struggle, as well as a shared sense of, you know, this is who we are because we're kind of in this together. That's the best way I can put it. That strongly parallels a lot, I feel like, the Jewish experience in a way, which uh, sort of our identity was sort of forged when we were expelled here sort of multiple times and scattered all around the world and sort of developed, you know, half half identities. Like Jew Ashkenazi Jews were like half European, half, half uh, you know, Israelite or Judean and, and the Mizrahi groups and all the different groups sort of saw ourselves as part of one family, but each one of them was sort of, you know, become sort of splintered and... Uh, develop some of their own, you know, mixed identities. And then uh, sort of this belief that you, uh, that, that you wanted to return to this land and how, uh, how meaningful that was, and also to return to the, to the people that, that, you, uh, that you connect with and that you feel that you have something common with. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I also feel that. an affinity. You could go first, it's okay. I just feel an affinity with what you guys are saying because it feels just so similar. Um, Raised in LA, like I always felt different. I never felt American or just because others told me I wasn't American. And I remember when I came to Israel, I was 16. I was born in Israel, but I left when I was like a baby. And I came home, I came to Israel, a place that I didn't talk to my family here. I didn't really know much about it. But the second I landed, I, I just felt at home. I felt something that I never felt in the diaspora. It's just this sense of safety of, oh, I belong here. This is what I haven't felt for however long I was in the States. Um, and to have also that multicultural like meeting between so Jews from all around the world. You have literally from all around the world. So you have just a globe in Israel, which is amazing because you are just one nation is built of people from all like shapes and colors and and thoughts and and ideologies and it's just exciting i don't know how to explain it differently but it's exciting every time you go out you meet someone you see something it's exciting it's um yeah. and yeah, I think that the Jewish identity in general has been built on living in the diaspora and our longing and our yearning to return home. And I think the establishment of Israel, despite how it might have been established, was a dream come true that we waited for Danny, so long. Yeah, to add to what Danny said, it's also that we've lived for like 2,000 years in diaspora. 
a lot happens and it, it kind of really like it's cool how it reflects how similar Palestinians are so we've also like there there isn't like an exclusive Ashkenazi diaspora an exclusive Sephardi and Mizrahi because they actually also integrated with each other too like for example in the 13th century when Jews are getting kicked out of Germany they moved also to Spain before the Spanish had the Inquisition and they will name themselves the Ashkenazim their last name will be Ashkenazi. And there's a lot of Jews today with the last name Ashkenazi because they came to Spain as from the Rhineland, which is Ashkenaz. And since then, you have like a mix. So in Spain, it's not just Sephardim, it's also Ashkenazim. And they come and they develop a new culture. And it's something that's been happening for 2,000 years. And I think it's like the Palestinians could def definitely like at least, you know, like relate to that in a way. And that's like, it's really cool how these two um, cultures are so captivating and really unique in their own way, but similar. I think um, in a lot of ways, it's like. Yeah, I'm here. Um, I think like the being Palestinian to me is having this, this strong attachment to a conflict that you grew up into. So like basically I was, I'm not like from uh, the diaspora. So like I was born and raised in, in Gaza, for example, and I've witnessed uh, the wars and all of that. So I think like what uni unifies Palestinians is this strong attachment to a just cause eventually, because you, you're grown into oppression in the West Bank, for example, and Gaza, I've, I've grown into wars and all of that. So like what unites us, what, define, what defines Palestinians in these areas is basically the struggle for justice. Or at least that's to me, like le, uh, let alone the, the heritage and the history of the Palestinian people. So like that's, that's basically it. To me, being a Palestinian is uh, having this strong sense of nationality that you have, you have, a, you have to fight to say, like to say the least, to exist there in this day and age, which is something I don't, I don't like to see, but it is what it is. Um, that's it. I have a question for Palestinians, if that's okay. Um, if, if like, do you would you see in any way just the like the simple concept of a Jew being born? in the land that you like identify as Palestine would in any way, like just regardless of your ancestry, would you in any way see them as Palestinian or? Oh, absolutely. I mean, the thing is we, there are uh, like the Sumerians, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, uh, but uh, prior to uh, Zionism, uh, there was a, a Sephardi uh, community. Uh, uh, Palestine under the Ottoman Empire had a Jewish rab uh, had a yeah Jewish rabbinate. Um, Hakam, oh, I have to Google it yeah. to remember the name. Boshi, I think. Hakam, Hakam sure. Jason, do you think that that sort of translates into today in in your mentality? Because I I feel like I mean Jews today don't call themselves Palestinians, but I know I know like a ton of Jews that I know have at least one of their great great grandparents has been in here for like 12 generations, 17 generations, something like that. That's like all over. So there's plenty of us that are, have, have roots here for a really long time also. 
but uh, they don't call themselves Palestinian anymore. They call themselves Israeli, sort of the before everyone was Palestinian. Then at some point, like the Christians and Muslims took the name Palestinian, and the Jews just took the name Israeli, and that's sort of where we, sure. leads us to where we are today. Can I? I mean, oh. Hello. Yeah. Can you hear me? Yeah, we can hear you. Yeah, I think in terms of if we're talking about the geography and we're referring to the to historical Palestine, we're on from the same land, right? And when it comes to the identity, now that we're talking to each other, it seems that we can draw a lot of similarities from both of our experiences. Um, but I think if we're framing it within the contemporary definition of Palestinian identity, um, it might be a different case. Um, like, I don't I mean, if we're talking about the struggle right now, it's a different thing. I don't know if that makes sense. Um, but yeah, I mean, eventually I think we both have, we both have um, that same connection to that land, right? Um, and this is where we can agree at one point. This is what we can agree on. Um, in terms of defining a common identity between us, I think that would be part of reconciliation later on, or as we reconcile. Um. But so to, to answer your question short, oh sorry. Oh. <laughs> to answer your question short, I That's think okay. I've, I've, I've met and I've had a, have had conversations with a number of Palestinians that would be perfectly comfortable with Jews being a part of uh, Jewish people being a part of our society. But it's just like, why would they when they have Israel? <laughs> um, except you still do have Jewish people that exist within Palestinian society, and I think an example of those would be the Sumerians. Um, so, uh, to really address your question, like we, we've had, um, like if you look at the Armenian genocide and the Circassian genocide beforehand, like we've had very distinct populations move in the region and, uh, like to some extent, assimilate-ish. Like they speak Arabic, but they, they, they're still obviously Armenian and Circassian. So, like it, it's it, like it depends. I, I I don't know if that's really applicable today because there is an Israeli nationality. So, um, so yeah, I mean, it, it's possible. You know. Something that was common between the answer of the Palestinians was the struggle for justice. And I think that Israelis sees justice in a different light than Palestinians. Um, for me, when I hear justice, I think of Jews like to the sea and then Palestinians taking over from the river to the sea. So like, what does justice mean for you as Palestinians? What would you say to an Israeli? Um, so if I can, if I may answer this or, or address it, I think it's, it's, a, it's sad that we are at a point where my, my demand for justice and yours, as, as a population that has been subjected to persecution over history, both demands are framed within a zero-sum game. Eventually, we're both human beings, right? What I demand in terms of justice is civil liberties, civil rights, being treated as a human being. 
um, that's my demand for justice. It doesn't exclude people. Just, if, it, if it actually excluded people, it's not justice anymore. It doesn't, it doesn't follow the right definition for it. Um, so the thing with the, you know, from the river to the sea and, you know, um, being thrown into the sea, that's, it, it, it's, it's, a, it's a really tragic perception to have it. It really needs, you know, it needs conversations, more conversations like this um, for our struggle to be explained as it needs to be. Um, and as I said, it doesn't exclude anyone. It shouldn't exclude anyone. What we, what I want, is just a life with dignity to be considered a human being worth, um, you know, um, a human being of value and worth a dignified life. That's it. Just real quick, someone asked me a question. Where did I get uh, that perception? So I can only speak for myself, but I had seen a lot of videos. Um, uh, can I? Uh, yeah, of course. I was just answering a question. Uh, um, Amar, are, are you are you having trouble? Were you hearing Danny just now? So, it, it, Amar, it seems like you're having trouble hearing people. Maybe you can't hear this uh, either. D Danny finished up. I'll speak to Amar and Kim so we can get so basically like i saw through media through youtube through different channels a lot of speeches hate speeches from fundamentalist leaders and or just what would seem like radical to us that have this kind of like hate speech and you know anti-semitic propaganda and not necessarily anti-zionist um and you're just, when we see these speeches, so these, this is what I saw, right? So I saw Jews from the river uh, to the sea, and you know, um, the two-state solution is only a temporary solution until, you know, we get the Zionists out of the land. And so you don't really hear, I never really heard the narrative until I really started opening dialogue with Palestinians, that justice for them just means civil rights, human rights. And then you're just like, okay, uh, so that was just to answer the question asked. Absolutely. Well, I, I think you see it's sorry. No, it's okay. I was just gonna say something like um also as an Israeli too, so to confirm what Danny's saying, like all all of us see this, right? You follow any type of Jewish or Israeli media and it'll show like from memory, I think it what it's called, like that it's um Middle Eastern Media Watch mm -hmm. and they watch like schools, all that stuff. I think us and the Palestinians can agree, or at least in this uh, discussion, they can agree that both of us don't like Hamas and Fatah. So if we both agree on this and agree that most of the hateful speech that's being taught right now, if there's not as much in uh, the West Bank of Hamas there is, if we could together, we can agree that at some point they need to go and we can establish a better Palestinian leadership, I don't think there will be as much of a concern that we're going to be driven into the sea. We know that we are, like, strong as people. We have advantages, like, geographic advantages and military advantages. That's obvious to see, like... But on the same time, we will always have this fear. But if 
Hamas goes, the education that's a terrible system goes, we'll be very comfortable with, you know, doing big things. I I I think at least for a lot of the Israelis. Um can you guys hear me again? I think I I dropped out. Yeah, yeah. Um I just want to respond like sort of right to what's sort of being said, like the great irony of the conflict we were talking about identities before is that you know, Jewish people are saying, you know, Daniel is saying, you have an identity defined by being in exile. And it is sort of like the experience of the Palestinian people of the state of Israel um, and the Zionist movement has been exile. And that's that's like what all our poetry and all our literature is about. It is, you know, it is about you know, being cast out from Eden, right? A uh, sense of dispossession and uh, being in the diaspora. So that's kind of like one of the great ironies of the conflict. Um, as far as what, I mean, when people talk about River to the Sea, it's as simple as, I mean, we're not from the West Bank or Gaza. You know, if you look at a map of the Nakba, we're from the entire country. You know, we're from villages near Akka, Khalil, you know, villages now that are basically, I mean, um, Omar can speak to this as well, as well, but, you know, you have these villages that have been, Every attempt is being made to erase from history. I mean, you, you've got like soccer fields and adventure parks being built on top of you know, houses that some of these people are like still alive. Like uh, their parents, uh, you know, their, uh, their parents and their grandparents are still alive. They remember being from those villages. And you've got like an adventure park being built on the ruins of um, uh, this place that they knew as home. Um, I mean, just try to put yourself in that same position. It's um, you, you, It seems like an identity that has created an identical identity. Um, I mean, so much of it is about being the diaspora. Heaven forbid we're, come, we're, <laughs> we're out of there for 2,000 years and you know, we come back to the land. Like it's, I think there can be empathy eventually on the, on the Palestinian side mm -hmm. for that aspect of the Jewish identity in the sense that it is so fundamental to who we are but i think mm -hmm. while we are in the state that we are in today for the average palestinian um and this differs depending on when someone's in the diaspora we aren't ready to care because we're this isn't a conflict that's in the past you know we're not you're not asking people to forgive something that happened a long time ago this is something that they are living through today and so I personally feel like I see a lot of these like attempts to to bridge people and like bring together connections. And I, I think that well, at least what I see in Palestinian society is frankly, like we don't respect those kinds of interactions unless they are mm -hmm. built on the basis of some kind of justice. Um, it's mm -hmm. for the average Palestinian, it's different for people living in the diaspora. It's different for uh, people who are coming from a place of pragmatism and the younger generation is a little bit different, but ultimately there's a sense of um it feels like you're being an uncle tom you know you're, you're sitting there you're speaking to somebody who is your oppressor exactly. and we are a collectivist society so we struggle to mm -hmm. see i can look at you as an individual i can look at danny and rafi and, and, and uh daniel and Emil, and i can speak to you as an individual but ultimately you also represent a collective and so mm -hmm. i think for these conversations in order to get the what I say, like the average Palestinian, a Palestinian who, who cares about his country, who, who cares about his people, the kind of people we respect, 
the conversations do need to begin with an assumption of 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 justice and i guess if you're looking for understanding of of your identity you need to begin with an acknowledgement of their identity um and so for palestinians like uh, i mean <laughs> demands have always been fairly simple and people have said the right of return or some version thereof you know um doesn't mean millions of people flooding back overnight but it means that you have fundamentally enshrined in law this idea of aliyah that you you're going to have any jew anywhere in the world return to the land um based on the premise that having been exiled 2000 years ago they have a right to return and to palestinians exiled 70 years ago it it, it it's it's you know it's like offensive it's just like you know why is this a fundamental right but but for my you know for someone's grandfather it's not um so that something to that effect would be a starting point um yeah. Uh, yeah. Go ahead, Disney. No, that's that's the thing. As I talked earlier on, our both of our existences have been framed within a zero-sum game. My existence threatens the existence of the Israelis, and the other way around, right? Um, and that's a perception on both sides. Um, it's funny, Danny, that you mentioned that when people talked about um, two-state solution, uh, it was the assumption that uh, this is the, the start and then they're going to take more, right? It's We also have that perception on our side when it comes to, to negotiating with Israelis. We think, okay, if we say yes to, the, to this, they're going to take more. There's a lot of mistrust at this point and there's a history behind that, right? Um, but we need to, I think it's really important for us to actually meet, move beyond this definition um, that it is a zero-sum game. Um, my fight for justice means the fight for your justice as well, and, and vice versa. This is, this is one thing, one perception that needs to change at one point. Would would you all like to move to uh, some solutions, practical steps forward? So I, I heard someone starting to speak. Uh, if you want, feel free to share, to share, and then right. let's just who, 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 whoever's going to speak, whoever's going to speak can next. I, yeah, can I just Amar? quickly respond to something in the text chat. Yeah, um, yeah, sure, sure. Wait, Amar, sure, go, go for it. And whoever was about to speak, feel free to, to, to say your part. Just find a way to lead what you say into the next topic, which will be uh, solutions and practical steps forward. Um, I, I don't know whether that was addressed to me, but someone's explaining uh, this idea that um, uh, I think they took issue with the fact that I said Zionism um, and that it just means, you know, that there that there should be Jewish determination. I mean, I mean, first of all, for the average Palestinian, again, you you for the average Palestinian, they are not willing to get invested into your narrative and your history, given their position in the conflict, unless you're starting from a position of being invested in theirs. But that said, for us, it really doesn't matter because when you look at the land, we are not Jordan or Egypt or some other country you know, that you can kind of negotiate with. We're in the same land. The land that you are asking for self-determination over um, includes another people. And so self-determination means self-determination. You can't take any ethnic group anywhere in the world and go, let's give that group self-determination and exclude a different ethnic group living in the same land. So for there to be self-determination for the Jewish people, there needs to be self-determination for the Palestinian people. Otherwise, that's not self-determination. I mean, that's just, 
you know, <laughs> that's that's literally an apartheid. Now, yeah, it's, it's a temporary it's thing. It's just, yeah, yeah, you just it is. It, I, I personally don't think you can you can you can split it. But but either way, it's just like uh, self determination means self determination for for everyone. That everyone in, in in a particular land is able to pick their their government, their mm-hmm. country, like in Arabic, like. Um, so yeah, I understand what the term means for you guys, but our experience of the term—that's what it is. It's ultimately exclusion. Um, and, yeah, and that can change, but that's what it is today. Yeah. So I, just want uh, to... I was gonna. Oh, yeah. sorry. You go ahead. Um, yeah, I just I just wanted that. to answer like something Tobias asked me. Uh, what I'm thinking after having having moved from France. And uh, to be honest, I was just 11 when I moved here. It's like I came with my parents; they chose it, and um, I just I want to 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 say that I almost didn't know anything about Palestinian before I moved here. Like I just knew there was someone called Palestinian, and I learned everything on the ground and. My parents also didn't really know something about it. They didn't learn about the story before coming here. They, we just knew about our story and that we wanted to come back in this land. And um, we actually, at this time, when before I learned about the story, we, we thought about the Palestinian as Arab. Like, we just thought about every Arab as one entity. And I think that one of the problem we have with many Israelis is that we just see Arabs as one entity, like Iraqis, mm-hmm. all Arabs. We see it as one entity. So that way, also we we are afraid because we think uh, one day every Arab can group up and just put us out. And um, that also was the idea of Pan-Arabism, but it didn't work and probably won't work because it's, it's not one people completely. The different culture, culture. So yes, that was my answer. Yeah. So I, I was going to say something in regards to the like the whole uh, thing about justice and and what we would want. I mean, like the whole the whole point of self determination is that each team gets to decide where they ought to live, who gets to rule over them, and what the shape of their borders ought to look like. It's it's whatever the team is comfortable with, depending on the circumstances at hand. See, the, the biggest note in the Israel-Palestine debate is that for far too long, Palestinian determination has lacked the word self before it. You know, we're not the ones choosing where we wish to have a state. Outsiders are choosing it for us. Uh, so, you know, wh- whether it's uh, uh, some Zionists that want to send us to Jordan um, and other and others who want to keep us under the status quo uh, without citizenship, or others that will you know suggest a two-state solution that would sort of tear families apart. Uh, coming to think about it, depending on where you live. So, uh, I guess like the whole the whole point of you know uh, self-determination is that we get to choose like where we want to live, um, and that other people don't decide that for us. Now, in terms of like future solutions, I mean, there are currently like five million Palestinians living, st- like, you know, stateless <laughs> in statelessness. Um, uh, you know, three million in the West Bank, two million in Gaza. 
Um, I mean, not counting uh, the Palestinians in the uh, diaspora. Um, you know, uh, the you know we we like I guess what what we need a way is to be able to have our self determination to be able to elect our own leaders and decide where we want to live and everything like that, just as uh, uh, Jews get to have their self determination. Um, and uh, I think you know both of us have valid uh, connections to the land, and you know. Uh, everyone actually uses the term connection without actually defining what it even means, you know? So, you know, let's uh, define connection. Remember, like, a connection is really in the eye of the uh, beholder, in a sense. You know, a, connect a connection for an Aboriginal Australian means, you know, continuously living on the land called Australia for 40,000 years. They never left. Uh, they stayed here until Europeans came and outnumbered them through demographic reversal. Um, in, in an African American that lives in white in a white society, uh, but chooses to identify as African American, um, this is their way of showing connection with Africa. But contrast this with white South Africans in, say, Johannesburg, who usually denounce their English or Dutch ancestries and insist that you should recognize them as full-on Africans, you know, who just happen to be light-skinned. That's their connection. So you can't apply the African-Americans criteria to the white South African, nor can you apply the white South Africans criteria to the African-American. Each is entitled to work out what connection means to them. You know, some cultures celebrate their distant heritage, you know, like African-Americans and others distance themselves from their you know, distant heritage. So whose criteria is better than there's no better or worse. It's, you know, whatever works for you, you get to decide what connection means for you. So, you know, uh, do we, like if we're going to agree what uh, if, if we if we agree, you know, that Jews get to decide what that connection means to them. That means Palestinians also get to decide what that uh, that connection means to us. And I think one of the things that I would like to develop a consensus on is that we can agree that I think all of us in this room agree that all of us have a connection to uh, to that land. Um, and therefore both we should both work towards uh, the self the self-determination of both of our peoples without uh, the compromise or the, without the, that, not at the expense of the others. So in terms of how do we achieve justice uh, is 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 working to end, uh, the current statelessness of uh, the, the the Palestinians on that side, um, and to give them true self determination um, through way of one dialogue um, and efforts to change the current realities on the ground, um, and 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 it has to be like uh, we have to ignore the radicals on the other side, like you said, Danny. Uh, you know you'll often see uh, radicals on the Palestinian side. Uh, talk about you know wanting to liberate uh, the whole of Palestine at the expense of Israel, um, and I'm sure, like trust me, you can find the exact same thing on the Palestinian side. Um, hearing like uh, the more radicals on the Jewish, the Zionist side, um, wanting to drive Palestinians into Jordan. So it, it's it's it, the way you deal with them is you just ignore them, ignore them, and watch people like us 
you know, and connect with people like us. Uh, because if you do listen to them and give them the time of day on your television, you end up becoming radicalized and polarized in the complete opposite direction. And the same for Palestinians. Hearing rhetoric that is anti-Palestinian will do the same. So it's up to us to ignore the radicals on both sides and come together as Jews and Arabs that want to coexist and outnumber both of them. But we do have to recognize that us as on the Palestinian sides, we're the ones that are still fighting for your, like, or, or trying to achieve our statelessness uh, to end and um, to, to live under the same uh, rights as anybody else on that land, but not at the expense of anybody else. Um. And how would this determination, like who, who would negotiate with the Israeli side? Because like you said, you guys are in state of statelessness. I don't think that the PA or the Hamas really represents the Palestinian people. Well, I, I think so. How would I, I? I think the people on both sides have a responsibility to do that to some extent. I just want to add to what a little bit to what Jason was saying. I mean, it depends what your definition of. I do dislike this like sense that when we talk about like violence on the Palestinian side, that it's um, somehow mysterious or random. That this is like some. Well, well, I, I think partially maybe it's because the imagery is the same. I mean, you're looking at people wearing the same clothing as uh, I don't know ISIS or uh, some other group, and you're going, "Oh, this is the same thing." Um, I mean, violence on the Palestinian side is politically motivated, um, and that means that these militia groups and these paramilitary groups, like Lehi or Ergun uh, or the IRA or paramilitary groups all over the world. Um, they believe that this is the this is the way they're going to achieve a political solution. You can say this isn't the way forwards. You can say that this is a, you know, this isn't an effective approach. But ultimately, I do think there is this assumption of irrationality, you know, uh, and the media plays a tremendous role in this. You know, you, you, there's this perception that we're somehow brainwashed, that we're brought up, you know. Uh, I mean, you, you look at like Pal Watch or whatever, and they'll have like some YouTube video uh, uh, or some like clip. Um, of propaganda, like, we we were not we were not brainwashed growing up. Uh, most of people's motives for participation in the conflict are based on what they witnessed through their own eyes, um, and what, what was told to them by their you know, families, lived experience. And that I am saying this as an optimistic note, which is that you know, for Palestinians, uh, yeah, their political goals are being clear. Uh, some right of return for Palestinians. Uh, uh, self-determination, whatever that means, whether that's you know, however you design your state is sort of secondary. But uh, political rights within within their historical homeland, for us, that's the entire land. Just as for you guys, it's the entire land. I mean, I keep hearing like, people in tax chat are mentioning Rudy, but he keeps talking about about Shem, about about Nablus. Uh, so it's it's clear that there's no there's no you know, the armistice lines aren't the borders, as far as I'm concerned. They're armistice lines. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, the map that I grew up looking at was the map of all of Palestine. I suspect you guys will grew up looking at the same map. Um, but the violence and the conflict um, isn't irrational, and I think the characterization of it as rational um, makes it seem harder to solve than it is. These people are trying to achieve political ambitions, um, just like you know uh, paramilitary groups all over the world 
um, when something akin to justice uh, or something akin to the fulfillment of those aspirations are met, um, uh, those groups dissolve, lose their support amongst the, the people. Um, uh, they they either they either become political parties, uh, rename themselves, rebrand, become Likuds in the, in the case of Argun, for example, uh, or they disappear completely um, or become gangs and then you know are persecuted by the the government. So. I do think, yeah, I don't know. The way people speak about it, it, it makes it seem like it's, you know, it's Islamic extremism or it's, uh, I mean, that does exist. You know, we've got Islamist parties, but it's beside the point. I mean, for, for the average kid, you know, growing up who's like throwing rocks at a soldier, it's, it's just natural human escalation. I mean, first people protest, right? That's the first thing you do. You go on the streets and you complain. Then they throw rocks, they get violent, you have riots. Um, uh, then when that doesn't work, people are like, well, we, we, we we're going to resort to violence. We need to some level of hopelessness. It's not unique to Palestinians. It's not unique to Jews. It's not unique to the Irish. It's not unique to any group of people. It's human beings. I mean, when you are totally hopeless, a human being is going to do whatever the hell he can. If he has no hope, he's, it's, it's just a matter of expression of anger. I'm just like, I don't know what to do. I have no other way forwards. And this is not a life worth living. I mean, the reality is life under military rule is not something you would accept for yourself, for your, for your friends, and for your family, or for anyone you know. Um, and uh, beyond that, now we're Benny Adam. You know, we're humans. We're actually, it's the exact same psychology. Palestinians are not this, you know, bizarre, like brainwashed people. I, I think almost characterizing it, even the way people look at like Gaza, where there's this perception that like Gaza is this like shithole, um, basically, uh, and everyone there is sort of uh, brainwashed. It's like people in Gaza are the same as people in West Bank. Um, you know, uh, the fact that Hamas won, won an election in Gaza 14 years ago doesn't mean anything. Uh, people in Gaza are just as educated. You know, we, we, we have amongst the high, one of the highest literacy rates in the world in Palestine, uh, highest PhD uh, rates per capita. We, we are not this like brainwashed group of extremists. Um, we're just human beings who want rights and have absolutely no political means to get there. Literally no avenue for political expression. We have no elections, yeah. no ability to protest nonviolently. Um, because when we do, we are shot. Uh, you know, we're, um, I mean, you could look what happened in like the first intifada. So like, that's an optimistic note because it means it, it can end. That's all. Maybe it's yeah. not that you're brainwashed. Maybe it's the fact that we just have a misunderstanding and that is mutually inclusive. So your whole aspiration, your goals across the world, maybe people don't know about it as much as they can. Maybe us Jews, we're not even taught about the Palestinian aspirations or the people who live also in the same, in our own homeland. So if we mutually don't even know each other's own goals, and I'll be honest, the Zionists never had a goal to remove you early on. But what they never did is two things. They never, A, actually tried to speak to the Palestinians about what their goal is, which creates this very alien type of mentality where it's, <clears throat> excuse me, they're building land, like they're building places on land that they purchased off of Palestinians. They're growing. They're not telling them exactly what they're here to do, even though for the most part, it's the sense um, Jews who are suffering in Europe and who need to come back to the land to have refuge, proper refuge in their ancestral homeland. But the issue is that they don't tell them, so now there's hostilities. You have more hostilities, now it's going to the Holocaust where you need even more Jews than before in the 20s. 
and mm. they really down there rioting they really don't like it they don't see what you're doing as any justification and by the time it's the 40s you have the creation of let heat you're doing it's over it was going into chaos by the time it was in the 30s truthfully and i think it's a we just don't understand each other enough like we don't know yeah. anything we don't know we think if if danny could agree and easy you 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 guys can agree that maybe the Palestinians don't know exactly what Ashkenazi, Sephardi, Mizrahi, the, actually how close they are, and that they actually belong to the land. And as Jews, we think you guys are all Arabim. We just say Arabim, and that's it. it and it's not. And it's not true. You're not just Arabim. Yeah. You have your own plan. I can admit that. Yeah. I can admit that I, that's how I used to look at it. I used it's to go exactly. when I was thinking about the conflict, going like, Palestinians are Arabs. Right? Are there yeah. like 20 other Arabic countries, Muslim countries that they can go to? That was honestly my thought. Like, I really didn't you understand map, Europe. Right? You see the whole map of all the Arab countries, and it's from Morocco to Iraq. <laughs> and it's like, it's all them, Arabim. And it's like, okay, yeah. maybe it's not just Arabim. And you don't understand the obsession. I mean, yeah. it's yeah. not an obsession now. Yeah, I'm talking like where my mindset was back then. Yeah. Um, yeah, but for sure. back to what Amal was saying about how violence isn't irrational. It's not that your the struggle is irrational, but there are things that are inexcusable. Mm-hmm. Um, at, at least on my end, and I can say it unapologetically. Even if it's the minority, okay, and it's like one out of a thousand, there's still been you know like I was telling someone on Discord earlier that when my father was five years old. He wanted to take a bus and he ran to the bus stop and my grandfather ran, chased after him and said, you're not going on the bus, pulled him out of the bus and the bus exploded in front of my father. Okay. Um, when you hear stories of like, you know, terrorists coming into Israel and like killing a whole family, right. And then killing a baby that's in the house. You're just like, this is inexcusable. This is not a struggle. This is terror. It's not a fight for struggle, it's for terror. But then you talk, I've talked to Palestinians and then they show me articles of Palestinians who actually save, like risk their lives to save the lives of other Jewish people. That's something that I didn't get to read before. Um, and very recent. Too, the massacre in 1929. It's also, um, also, but very recent in 2019 or 2018, whatever, an article that I read literally a couple of days ago, just like reading up on it that there was this rabbi who was killed in the settlements and a Palestinian risked his life to save his wife and his children. And in turn was given yeah. permanent residency in Israel. But like, you know, so. I, I just, I'll add very quickly to that um, on the subject of like, there's certain things that are inexcusable. I mean, we can look at um, the second to father. You can look at the video of a sniper shooting a baby. Uh, it's like, I don't really think there's any anybody who isn't at a point in their psychology where they're sociopathic that can look at that and be like yeah that's fine but it is still frustrating for palestinians to hear that because we're like we're just like this isn't unique to us it's just not unique to us i mean it's evil but it's not unique to us i mean uh, uh i mean first of all you can look at jewish paramilitary groups um back in back when they were in operation lehi or agun for example and they had the exact same tactics. In fact, they literally had to split off from Haganah 
so they could stop exercising self-restraint. So they could stop exercising was it Havlaga? Um, so they could yeah, basically, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, they could basically uh, exercise collective punishment, revenge killings. They could attack women. They filled yeah. the trucks up with explosives and sent them into villages. I mean, uh, these sorts of. I mean, the IRA is a great example. Go, go ahead, Dan. He also got like you have to kind of like technically begging. That was Menachem Begin, and technically he would actually be better for the Palestinians because he wanted it to be one state. So. Just everyone, just the actual status about what is going to happen to you guys. Maybe not so good, but compare it to um, the liberals. So Godemir, Ben-Gurion, it's, they were just, they were more prone and um, willing to do a two-state solution. And they were also more willing to um, work with the British to not blow up as frequently um, British and Arab outposts. Like it's mostly if you look at like a terrorist attack where the a Jew will go and throw a grenade into a market and it would just blow up the market. It it was usually the Lehi or the Ilgun. But you, um. you could see where it's like some of them what they think it's good in terms of the state, but how they want to treat you and how they do their actions is not good. There's it's kind right. of like a trade off. Yeah. The other thing the other thing uh, well uh, actually go ahead. Go ahead, Izzy, sorry. I just wanted to say that there are three things we, I think we need to um, work on in order to start um, um, a proper conversation at one point with as many people as possible. Uh, first of all, we need to, like, our starting point should not be treating each other as monolithic. We're not, neither of us is monolithic. Neither of us is that homogenous. Um, um, for me, as a Palestinian, and this is this is actually part of part of the solution. I think nobody actually knows what Palestinians as a collective want. We don't have any data on this, and like nobody can say we want two state solutions. No, but nobody can say we want a one state solution. We don't know what we want, so we we need to to, to tackle that that on our side. The other thing is empathy. Empathy is key. Empathy on both sides is very is very important, um, and we need for for empathy to be established. We also need to acknowledge that context is important, not not to excuse what is inexcusable, right? But the context is important. Um, so I think you know if we want to discuss the way forward, there are things that we need to do on our side then things that the Israelis need to do on their side, right? And then things that we need to do together. Um, so can, I would like to hear, you know, from me, for me, I think from my side, from the Palestinian side, we need a referendum. We need to understand what we want as a collective. We need to draw a map for the future, for ourselves. Uh, I can tell you personally, I don't care for statehood. I just want rights. That's it. Um, I don't know about the rest of the Palestinians. On the Israeli side, that there are a lot of conversations to be had. A lot of conversations to be had on your side. Um, to sort of be able to, you know, sway people to understand the other side. And not just understand, understand, talk about the need our need for justice, right? Um, and after this, 
like you can also talk you can also talk about i want to hear from the israelis here what they think needs to be done on their side and then we can talk to each other about what we can do together sure um, so what i think is that in terms of the violence that we mentioned i think both sides need to stop stop violence as much as possible like definitely on the on the palestinian side very challenging i understand all the suffering they're undergoing under occupation but they, they really need to go you know full gandhi full martin luther king full you know nelson mandela and really say we're not going to do violence and that'll sort of throw the ball back in the court of the israelis in a way that that we'll have to look in the mirror and take some accountability because as soon as they and with everything that they do, we can just use the excuse while they're attacking us, so we can't solve it now. And in terms so, of violence, also, I, I would get rid of all the checkpoints, like in the West Bank. We already have security coordination with the PA. That, that's pretty irrelevant at this point. And, and But that won't really solve the conflict. That would just be like, okay, stopping the violence today. And then we really need, it, it's on this top, I, it's not for me to tell the Palestinians what to do, but it's for my side to get our act together and decide, make a fair offer that's really, that really is justice for both people. And mm. for me, that's some kind of a one state or a federation. I mean, even if you think of like, you know, I live in Jerusalem. So if you wanted to have two states and you said, but we need to do something with Jerusalem, you can't really put a wall in the middle of it. There's like a million people here and we're, we all live next to each other and we're not segregated now. There's no reason to segregate us because people in Tel Aviv and Ramallah can't get along with each other. That's your problem, not ours. So like if you wanted to put you know, keep a wall and then close up and then have Jerusalem open. You could put a wall all the way around Jerusalem, but like, I'm not living in a wall. We could put a wall around Tel Aviv. That's not, it's not my problem. You know, I uh, think the Haladim will be okay with that too. Can I, I don't know. What do you mean? You, yeah, I'm not really serious. You're not, I'm not going to put a wall around Tel Aviv. You just, if you want to have any solution, no, I mean, like, look like, <laughs> I actually like, meant it the other way. No, no, I'm Rafi. I meant it the other way. I meant it like, sure. Because do you think, like, say, for example, there's, um, like, Jerusalem has its own thing, like, here. Maybe it would be even bigger than Jerusalem, because I saw some of the pictures where the whole confederation, looked, not the confederate, the canton looked bigger. Confederation, um, yeah. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. So what I was saying, so oh, if there's a Jerusalem, do you actually see the, I, I can see most of the secular Jews and the, the mostly the Mizrahi Jews and even, like, traditional agreeing to this? and being okay with the Palestinian population for the most part. I think it's only there's some um, groups like the Halidim who have their own dress code for school. They have their own schools. They have their own rules. It's very mod. Even though the modesty could kind of actually reflect Palestinian modesty because they're also pretty modest people. You know, you need to make sure it reflects all the people, including the Halidim too. Like that was like the one group I was thinking like potentially there could be a, you know, like an issue or something. Sure. I think the idea, the idea that, Palis, that there's going to be a bunch of Palestinians rushing to live in a, in a Haradim community is, yeah, it's, it's kind of funny. No, and I we're just more in their eyes. I meant it in their eyes, looking at the Arabs. So I'm asking, it's right. more like asking another Jew from his perspective, because he's more like Rafi seems more religious than me. So I was just asking, like in terms of that. Just um, to what, go ahead, Rafi. You can't really make like a separate state for Haredim. That's not really practical. And like I, it, I know, like I wouldn't. Now, and there's, there's a lot of them in the city. Jerusalem is very. It's almost like federalized, anyways. There's a whole section of the city with Haredim. There's where I live, which is like Misoratim, like Mizrahim, and, and and like Ashkenazi, like Dati Lumi people, and a little bit of seculars. And then you have like an entire Arab section of the city. And it, 
people like they they stay within their own neighborhoods. There's like a handful of Jews in like a few Arab neighborhoods around the old city. And there's like one neighborhood like Abu Tor, which is sort of like hip and like half Jewish and half Arab. But that's it. Like 99% of the people here live are Jews and live in a Jewish neighborhood or Arabs live in an Arab neighborhood or Haredi and live in a Haredi neighborhood. It's very like, it's already set up like that. So we don't really need to, you don't have to force them. This is what they do naturally in this case, but you need to create an environment where all of them are are okay. And like Jerusalem, even though it's not even that fair in Jerusalem, it's still like a whole lot better than, you know, comparing what's going on in Ramallah versus Tel Aviv. So that's, so I don't think, I think the basis of a, a real, a real solution at the very least is two states with Jerusalem as the territory and capital of both those states. And Jerusalem needs to be fully open. And if Jerusalem is fully open, the whole country is fully open. You can't, you can't put a wall anywhere. And so we're basically two states with one capital that with fully open borders. That's sort of like a federation at your minimum. That's what you would need to do. And then, okay, now that we're real, if you cope with the fact that we're in some kind of confederation, federation, living together situation as a reality, now we should just talk about together. Okay. What do you really want it to look like? What would, what would best actualize my, my, my sense of, of Jewish identity, my connection with, you know, the, the central mountains, the, you know, the Judea and Samaria, Palestinian connection with places in the Negev desert and, you know, Advat and, and Alasa and all these, these, you know, uh, Nabataean towns and all these, this, all the, all this sort of cultural history and find a way to let that flourish and be expressed in our, you know, shared living together, however you want to call it. And find I like what that will look like. I like Absolutely. everything uh, you have to say, Rofi. I guess the problem is, and, I, and maybe this is like a diaspora thing, but like, okay, the, the, the issue with this idea, I mean, uh, so I, I think we can kind of sit in a group, we can talk about a solution. And I think to some extent, we do need to communicate like a governance solution, because I think that changes the mindset. But as far as getting there politically, I mean, you even take the example you gave of, of uh, nonviolent protests, like going, you know, more or less full Gandhi. Um, that, and this is kind of where I can pass the ball already, um, the closest we came to going full Gandhi, you have, you have the first Antifada, um, which uh, while I wouldn't say entirely nonviolent, was at least explicitly, in terms of its leadership, the people who organized the first Antifada, that was their strategy. Um, and so while there were, there were some groups, the vast majority of the first Antifada was basically characterized by protests, boycotts, civil disobedience, um, and uh, general strikes. And it was met with the iron fist policy. I mean, it was met with absolute brutality. Um, you know, uh, the First Intifada was one of the biggest uh, loss of lives. And we had like 1,600 uh, people killed and just an innumerable, innumerable amount of... Uh, um, protesters uh, yeah. injured, wounded in permanent yeah, ways. But that sort of continues to this day. So if I go out to protest, if I go out to, to protest for something, um, you know, and one kid in the protest throws a rock, I'm I'm gonna cop a I'm gonna cop a rubber bullet. Um, and that's the starting point. And if the protest gets wild, I you know, people die. I mean a kid died literally the other week. Uh, Ali, a thirteen year old kid. It was at a protest. I mean, so this is also part of the issue. I mean, the Palestinian experience is basically hearing, you know, Israeli media say there is no peace partner, there is no one to negotiate with, Hamas this, Hamas that, um, 
the PA's too massiveist, followed by uh, we, every time we go out about and complain about something, whether it's our own government or uh, settlements or your policies, we are met with brutality from both the PA and the IDF. And the security coordination between our government and yours. The reality is, for Palestinians, we see our government as a, like, you know, we see our government as uh, ultimately an extension of the Israeli security apparatus. Um, so it, it always feels like hip hypocrisy. I mean, at, at a minimum, I think uh, if you want Palestinians to be able to arrive at a democratic process to express their views, um, then, uh, yeah, I mean, when people go out to protest, when people try to achieve political change non-violently with strikes and protests um, and boycotts, uh, you can't respond in that way. And that's actually how the Second Intifada started, by the way. The Second Intifada was absolutely brutal, but the first few months of the Intifada were just protests. It is always in response to carnage that the violence escalates. Um, and it's something along the lines of the militant groups go, well, you tried it, it didn't work. So, Are you talking uh, about going to the Temple Mount? No, no. So, yeah, so, so uh, that started the Al-Aqsa Intifada. Um, however, in the first yeah, few months of the I Intifada... I could say was, something to that right. just from a Jewish perspective, but I want you to continue. I'll say it after. No, no, go, go ahead. Well, the thing is, like, if you're going to say that even it started off with the Al-Aqsa um, riot and the, well, the protest and the riot, the thing is, like, fundamentally, they're not, like, a lot of Jews will just not have a hard time for you to tell them that this Al-Aqsa or the Temple Mount, like, which is where the number one uh, most important part of, like, all of Judea, because that's where not only the temple was, but it's, like, the main point of the temple. It's that. It's not even just anywhere else in Jerusalem, which is the capital of Judea. So it's like what they, they're just like, I really don't care no matter how much the Palestinians don't like it. Two will come out, come back and retaliate. Three, show us how much they don't care. They're like, well, I, I just personally don't care. So I'll do it. If I instigate something, I know that our police force is strong enough to eventually suppress it. The only thing is that because the Palestinians went very hard in the protest and then eventually turned into a riot for the first intifada and eventually got really bad. The Israelis so, kind of sorry, just to be clear, the, the first intifada was was not the Al-Aqsa. Like, that was no, no, 1987. I'm, I'm connecting it to the Al-Aqsa. Yeah. The right. first intifada was so bad. When, they, when the Al-Aqsa happened, they did it like, well, I'm going to do this. If you riot, it's probably not going to be as bad as the first intifada, which was already so bad. So they didn't see how it will go into this whole cycle of this suicide bombing, you know, rock throwing, like really like even worse than what the first intifada was, which was so already so unimaginable in like the eyes of an Israeli in 1999 and 2000, just to put But that's like the well, reasoning why like they did it in the first place. Why like, yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I guess this tradition of like like this tradition of how political protest is res you know how people respond to it is sort of still there to this day like it is it is ultimately i mean for, forget protests by the way we're not just talking about protests i mean um uh people who uh pursue you know things on the international stage or boycott movements are basically placed in you know indefinite administrative detention um uh by the security apparatus um 
uh, you know, you know, take your average Palestinian. If they if they start a political movement that you know, the nation state sees is detrimental to their PR, I say the nation state, I mean Israel, um, sees as detrimental to their PR. Um, no, I have a number of family members who were placed in administrative detention more or less indefinitely, um, you know, for being part of boycott movements uh, or uh, PR or, um, you know, uh, the International Criminal Court program. Like, it's not... The reality is, as a nation state, I mean, it behaves, on the one hand, it's a functioning democracy and there's freedom of speech. It basically treats its citizens quite well, and it treats the non-citizens that occupy the same land as subhuman. Um, it, and there's sort of no, yeah, there is no limit to, uh, yeah, there, there, I don't know, it's yeah, it it's not easy. Civilian law. It denies masses of civilian law, uh, but it's security apparatus also under the guise of, you know, blurry national security can basically go in arrest anyone place them in administrative detention for an indefinite period of time and this isn't one story this is like you know like every single palestinian has a family probably has a family member or an extended family member who was who was just in prison for a few months with you know for no real with no real end date um in administrative detention right now right Amar and <laughs> not to that extent i mean i think it's just easier but but um uh yeah, and it's on both sides, um, but uh, you know, uh, ultimately, it is extraordinarily difficult for there to be a political movement. I mean, we have one of the most unpopular, you know, uh, let's say, let's call it po government policies that we've had for a while in leadership, um, and uh, they're not going anywhere anytime soon because it is extraordinarily difficult to start any political movement in the region, um, and Israel has to take a lot of the blame for that. I mean, they've. You know, I mean, BB said it multiple times. I mean, the, he likes the factionalization. It's it's a good strategy. Um, prevents a unified. He doesn't want a unified Palestinian leadership. So, to some extent, you. Yeah, I mean, there, there has to be pressure. You have to place pressure on your own government to. You can't keep telling us there's no peace partner, and then also, literally, you know, uh, preventing any political or democratic process from ever occurring in, in the region. You're right, but in this time specifically, Israel's in the midst of political mayhem. If anyone who's watching or who's debating yeah, doesn't know, no, it's not even like, stable, so they don't trust like. Yeah. We don't. We don't even trust our government right now. We yeah, see it so. as just you know whether you like Bibi or you don't like Bibi. I personally don't like Bibi, and I keep seeing this man, Echshu, in some way, shape, or form, being elected and forming these coalitions and even though you don't get the majority and so there's so much it's yeah. a whole street it's a lot of the thing is that it's it's so it's all civil war but it's kind of boiling up to where it's it's very dysfunctional and what what usually happens is that when you're getting to a civil war there's some type of identity crisis so where you're questioning yourself whether you matter whether the government not like cares about you and that you matter in their yeah. eyes and you could compare it to any situation. I think with this situation too, we don't even know. It's like Yavdi Lukud only trusts Bibi for this fact that he has Bitachon, you know, security, and that's it. And they'll yeah. only vote for him because they think any anything else, it's Hamas, and Hamas wants to kill. You know, it's a whole it's a whole right. cycle. And then you go with the left, and then they're like they really like two state solution, for example, but they are willing to talk to maybe Fatah, but not to Hamas. It's a whole. It's a whole mess. It's it's all a big mess. And the coalition, I think personally, is really like a, a poison to Israel 
because we're tribal already. So to create, like, to, to vote someone in off the basis of coalition, so you're literally telling these tribal people, form into tribes so you can all vote one, one another in, and then that person will rule the land. It's not. It's toxic. It, it leads to a whole... It leads to a whole issue, really. And that's, I, I that's think, what Danny's talking about. Yeah. Exactly. That's why it needs to start with us, because our government does not give a shit. That's how at least I feel. Yeah. Okay? Like, it doesn't care about me as an individual. And that, that, I felt that. And so if we get... And that, 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 is, is were you yeah. saying something? There was just a lot. No, go ahead. Oh. Go ahead. So if we have, like, mass support between, like, the everyday Israeli, the more you talk about it, if it's, you know, you, Abu Amar, and Rafi, you guys are talking about this sort of federation, one that also wouldn't threaten the demographics, which is a huge thing, right, for like the Jews to never be a minority. Um, these are things I need to talk about between us, and that would pressure it, hopefully, this is my optimistic hat on, would pressure our governments to act differently because the people aren't taking their BS anymore. And so they kind of, in effect, lose power. I, I was just going to say that uh, then one of the steps that need to be done on the Israeli side is actually work on the existing political paradigm and change it. Uh, you actually have better grounds considering that it is a democratic democratic state. You have better grounds to do that than we do as Palestinians right now. Um, once that happens, and once once, as Ahmad said, uh, he, he mentioned that part of the reason we are incapable of forging a unified political will is the um, coordination between this, the the state of Israel and and the PA, right? So that needs to, to change, that perspective needs to change on the Israeli side. And in order for that to happen, public pressure must mount. And this is where you guys come in. Well, and that's the question that I, I really fundamentally have in the sense that, like, okay, we can be here in a conversation. Or when I speak to someone um, and I, and I, you know, I uh, tell them the story and I think, like, I think people are used to hearing the peace activist talking point, right? They're, they're used to hearing the same sort of stuff on the Palestinian side. You know? um, but when you get into the nitty gritty of like what people's lives are like, um, I think you actually usually, in a conversation, people can kind of agree. Um, the problem is, I mean, this is just nowhere near what, what the average person on the street thinks. It's just not what the media is presenting to them. It's not, it's not the communication lines. And so like, Quite frankly, I mean, how are we? How do you get this message across to people? Um, there is such a deeply ingrained narrative. I mean, I recently was looking at the PR coverage, the 2018 Gaza protests. The difference between our experience of that, where you have you, you know the, the articles I'm 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 reading, with the exception of some quote unquote left wing papers, and let's be real, the Israeli left has been dead for a long time. So yeah, you'll get an article from Haaretz and. 972 but um you'll read like the average newspaper news source an attack on the border and it was a a fucking protest where literally 200 people died and almost 10,000 people were were you know uh, injured some of whom maimed permanently um and they were basically asking for a lift to the blockade it was the one time i can think of in recent history where hamas was like yeah go ahead protest let's try it and uh 
I mean, what, what what do you expect the people of Gaza to walk away from that experience thinking? I mean, walking away from that experience thinking, bloody hell, more of us died during this process than we did during the uh, the last bombing. It's it, and, and the reality is none of that got through. Literally, none of that information was communicated. I looked at the PR, I looked at the YouTube videos, I looked at the um, you know the signaling, the branding, all of the media, and it was it was basically just like conflict in Gaza. You know, Gaza is upset about something. I mean, literally nothing was communicated. And you can talk about like the age we live in. Um, and regardless of your political views, I think it's it's a weird time when, say, the president of the United States can get on TV, say something that is so demonstrably false that if you were to open Google for five minutes, you'd be able to see that he was lying. And that was what happened. In so many of these stories, I, I see the, uh, the, the way the information is presented in Israeli media. And let's be clear, our media is no better. The only difference is a we don't consume it heavily um uh and then b we don't have an army um uh but um yeah i mean you look at the difference in the media and it's like literally bb would get on tv say something that if he was if you were to google for five minutes you'd see the footage and that's not what happened um or there'd be newspaper articles i mean i was talking to a friend about this um who sent me a an article from, uh, I think it was either Israel Hayom or Times of Israel, where there is the uh, grade two Palestinian, it was a PA, apparently it was a PA textbook, grade two math textbook. Um, and they had the page number and the title of the book at the top and stuff. And in this article, it was about, look, you know, look at how uh, Palestinians are brainwashed into hating, hating Jews and Israelis. Had this math problem where you have like, you know, on October, the Israelis prevented this many people from going to Al-Aqsa. And you do some calculation with like how many people missed out on getting to go there. It was all not real. I mean, I don't know where they actually got the source from, but I pulled up the textbook and I went to the exact page that they put the image on. And it took me five minutes. And it's just, it's false. And it's like... Was it we, the media? Like, did they find it through the media? Like the person... They may have found that. it on Facebook. It may have been a draft of the textbook. I don't know. So like, I, yeah... Uh, like you were talking about media before, like media will always profit off of the like the conflict. It's just the fact that it like first of all, Israelis also say that no, the media like I could say good maybe forty percent will think that no, their hard BB people will be like no, I don't think the media is biased for BB. It's actually a lot more biased for like Khan Eleven. It's more pro lefty. It's more pro Gantz, if anything, but. The point is, is that the media is never really there to actually educate in the first place, which is why I said it has to come from personal learning. Like we actually have to personally learn from each other because the media is never going to be there to do anything else but make money off of us. So I really think that, yeah, when you have Abbas, you have Bibi, who are both in there, who can both die in the next 15 years, just rich, have yeah, they're going to stress but at the same time, as long as they're working with each other to keep the the situation where it's the army goes to somewhere where there's a riot or uh, I mean, there's a protest and then they come back and they will they'll come and they'll deal with this. They'll deal with the protest in whatever manner, whether it be violent, whether it be somewhat violent, complete brutality. It doesn't matter. BB's fine with that because BB knows that A, enough outlets will either say it's horrible, which will get people angry at BB, but they will want some type of conflict with the other people who is a Likud. And the Likud says, yeah, maybe occupation's okay. Maybe this is all we got. There is no solution. So you see how they're like, they're basically trying to make money off people fighting each other. And it's just, 
they won't see that. Like we, it, the media is never going to help us understand that our aspirations are very similar and that we can live with one another and that we, the only way we can really do anything is by learning from each other, really. Um, can I interject something? Um, yeah, re- real quick be- before you do, it's just we're closing in on two hours now. So uh, we'll have an opportunity for everybody to share some final thoughts. Um, final thoughts and then answer the question, chocolate fumus. Yes or no? I'm, I'm assuming most people here haven't haven't tasted it yet, but what are your initial thoughts? We're actually going to do a taste test video this Thursday. It will be published on the page coming up. Um, as you all think of your final thoughts, I'll uh, give a few more announcements while we're at it. So first of all, this was very inspiring. It really was. And the conversation will continue in the Discord. Uh, you can find a link to the Discord in the description. If you want to get in touch the, the after party in Discord will be an opportunity to speak to any of our panelists one on one, and you can also reach out to them personally there if you want to continue the conversation. If you're new to the page, please like and subscribe. We do awesome content every week. Our our goal is simple: connect people who are currently in conflict with one another. Our main focus is Israel Palestine conflict. Being an Israeli, it's close to home, close to heart. Uh, this Thursday for the great debate, we actually have Izzy and Danny coming on to debate one another. So this was just a little warm up session for them, for them. But it's gonna gonna be good. Um, if j- just some thoughts of how you know I feel about this conversation. You know, many people ask. They say, "Do you think conversations can make a difference? Can conversations change the face of the conflict?" Well, the way I look at it is. Whatever political solution we end up having, it will only work if we can build some kind of trust with one another. There's such a deep, deep mistrust of one another. And that mistrust manifests itself in the form of fear and hate. Um, With the current levels of mistrust with one another, it seems like every political solution will fail before it even gets started because of how conflicted our populations currently are. So these dialogues can change that paradigm. Most Israelis don't know any Palestinians personally. They don't have Palestinian friends. Most Palestinians don't have any Israeli friends. The only thing we know of one another is what we learn on the media or from our politicians, both of which have some interest to sensationalize what we hear. Uh, Politicians or media will only focus on the worst members of society, the, the most extreme ones, because sensationalism sells So from a young age, both populations are getting a very specific and false notion of who their neighbor is. These dialogues can change a lifetime of upbringing in a single session. So that's that's what we do. We're going to continue to do these. If anybody's watching this and you want to be on a future session, reach out to me. You can see contact information in the description. You'll see a little link tree link with all my contact information. Uh, we'd love, we'd love to have more guests on the idea of the round table is you don't need to be a politician. You don't need to be an activist. You don't need to be a scholar. You just need to be an individual who's affected by the conflict and you need to be w- willing to make some effort towards progressing peace. Everyone's invited. It, it was a great pleasure to have you all here. And, um, with that, we're going to give it up for a little, uh, Final thoughts and my question about chocolate fumu. So uh, take take it as you wish. Yeah. So I, I was actually I wanted to uh, like I, I think uh, Adar covered a decent amount of what I wanted to say, but uh, 
it, there's always like the next steps. Like let's say we talk a decent amount of the population connects. Uh, I guess trust uh, levels increase and so on. But how do you overcome human nature of saying, okay, you know, this might be nice, but like, like, is that enough for a human to say, okay, I actually want to invest, you know, some time into doing this? Like, let's say you live far away from an area that's not as affected, you know, by the conflict. Like, what is that, like, one motivation factor, you know, that would get you to actually want this change? Because, I mean, if it's not affecting you and you can, you know, um, not spend any energy on this because I mean that, that's just human nature like what what like what how how can we get to that level like past education building trust how can we get to actually wanting to change something that, that's really like the issue that I've had I, I, I don't want to end it on a negative note because hopefully people can spend this in a more positive way but I just wanted to you know bring that out there because human nature in general is a huge part of this conflict anyway um i uh i mean i i mean on the palestinian side obviously diaspora is different than people who live there for us the motivation to change it is because we're <laughs> you know we're in the situation that we're in yeah. you know we need to change this is our, our entire lives although i actually think there is more too much acceptance amongst our own society and um we're not going to be able to fully unpack this discussion in this conversation I, I really can't stress enough how disconnected the average Palestinian is from this conversation. Um, we have such a hard time. It, there are Palestinians who will speak to Israelis, but uh, we usually don't respect a lot of the ones who do. And it's because they're lying. I mean, they, they are basically, now they're basically, there's a cognitive dissonance that's required in order to basically just jump right to the point of the conversation where you are talking about peace or shared experience. I mean, for most Palestinians, it feels like there's a, and we can talk about solutions, we can talk about governance, that they'll pay attention, albeit a lot of people don't like to talk politics, frankly, um, but they'll answer your questions about what their aspirations are and what for them is justice. But from the average Palestinian um, in the less wealthy areas, I mean, it's one thing to, you know, to be someone who goes to a private school in Ramallah. It's another thing to be uh, from the camps or from, uh, frankly, most of the country. Um, there is a big disconnect there and it is because there is so much acknowledgement missing for us to begin the conversation. And I think my experience speaking to Israelis is there is sort of a desire for us to acknowledge your history before you met us. It's like, yeah, okay. I've spent some time and I've, you know, I've understood, went and learned and understood Jewish history. But I chose to do that. For the average Palestinian, that is not something that they are going to do. So I can get your identity, but for the average Palestinian, it just it's tough to, for them to give a shit when they they go, "You are asking me to understand your identity and your history before you met me, me, you know, a Palestinian, the tribes, the clans that we hear." So start by acknowledging our experience of what happened from the day we met you. It's not the forty-eight war between you guys and every other Arab state, you know, it's not, it's not the Arab-Israeli conflict. It is literally the experience of these villages. I mean, most of the people who expelled from the land were Falahin. These were farmers. These are people who, these are people who literally just had, they, they were like caught in the crossfire between 
every Arab leader's desire to take a piece of the country. Um, and you guys. I mean, it's just basically it. And we, for us, it was just... Victims. They were the easiest victims, if you think uh, about it. And, and, and for us, frankly, our only role in the Arab-Israeli conflict was, you know, we wanted to fight. We weren't able to fight. Um, but, uh, I mean, people were, like, literally caught in the crossfire. And it's, like, from our entire experience. I mean, someone earlier mentioned that Herzl wanted to live together. Well, he never got a chance to be part of you know, uh, the early Zionist movement in Palestine. So we will never know how he would have handled this. But I can speak to our newspapers, Jaridat Palestine, um, in the year, in the early 1900s. Um, it was a, it was a taboo, both under Ottoman law and under the nature of our society for them to say they were opposed to Jewish immigration. So they made quite specific what their grievances were. And they raised it towards what we saw as a political party. And it was, uh, it was, it was the Zionist movement. Now, again, I understand for Jewish people, Zionism means a totally different thing to you than it means to us. But you also have to understand what it means to us. And the author, Isa, and Jadid Palestine made it very, very clear. And the Palestine newspaper made it very, very clear. Is he sees a political movement uh, aimed at establishing a state here at the exclusion of the Palestinian people. That was our experience of, of what you were here to do. We didn't catch on until these papers spread spread this idea that that is what was going to happen there was going to be a state here that doesn't represent your culture that gives one people self-determination it fulfills one people's dream and creates another people's nightmare sure i can learn your history i can know what happened in the romans i can know what the temple means to you i can know uh you know tomorrow in jerusalem i can learn this history asking the average palestinian to want to learn this history is impossible when they feel like well We've known you guys for, you know, you guys being uh, the people who came in like the first, second, third Aliyah. You know, we, there, were Jewish, there was a Jewish presence in this land in the last 2,000 years. I mean, uh, in and out, depending on the political situation, depending on the conflict. So it's really specifically what we identify as Zionism and Israeli people. Our experience has always been negative. I mean, we, we really can't point to a moment in history where we, we weren't... Um, there was a moment of allegiance or a moment of I mean, plenty of Arab families um, had positive experiences with the Jewish people in, in Khalid, in Hebron, which is why when the Hebron massacre happened, there were still Arab, Arabs there who protected them. Um, for the average Palestinian, you know, we, we, we've, we, we may have positive experiences outside the country, um, but ultimately as collectivist people, we see you as a collective. Um, people in Jerusalem may have interactions with, with you know, uh, positive Israelis or, uh, you know, people who, are, who tr tr just treat our rights like Benny Adam, like just another, another person. Like if, if you, if you cared about another person's culture, history and identity, we would extend you the same courtesy. Um, uh, Jordanians, look, the Jordanian government killed many Palestinian people. And today we say, there is no grievances between us. We are one deeply bonded people that, I mean, we you know, love each other beyond the ability to separate the identities so it's not like history doesn't matter it's just you look at you have to look at the differences and it's and it is a total acknowledgement of the other person's identity as well as uh being as willing to fight to protect their rights as you it, i mean I, I don't see it in between here frankly like either you are willing to fight to protect the rights of another person in this country or you can't be in the country together because so long as it's a zero-sum game kind of like what izzy said earlier then we are never going to be on the same playing field because Israelis are going to say we are militarily stronger, we are powerful, 
So your maximalist demands, I think someone said that it's in the chat, are not going to be accepted by us. And Palestinians are going to say, we don't give a shit. We don't care. We don't, we're not a foreign nation state. You can't negotiate with us because we're just people inside your own country. So we are going to complain about this in 200 years and 300 years and 500 years and a thousand years. Ireland didn't forget that struggle after 800 years. We won't. Or you can today, right now, this generation, take something that is a dream for one people, a nightmare for another, and live up to live up to the same standards that you claim your state, you know, holds to 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 care about. Which means, uh, you know, the preservation of cultures, uh, preservation of identity, survival, the diaspora, exile from Eden. Uh, th these are the things that the two national movements have in common. Um, that's what I see missing from most peace talks. I mean, get you know, just get to the to the to the bottom of what people feel, and that's it. Thank you, Amar Abu Amar. Uh, chocolate fumus, though. I I, um, I want to hear from Omar and Amar about chocolate fumus, and then we'll uh, move on to the next. Look, um, so it <laughs> it really depends on. Uh, what it's meant to serve. Uh, when I think of hummus, I think of an actual meal, you know, at breakfast, uh, sometimes for lunch, uh, and sometimes for dinner. But um, I don't know. I've never tried chocolate hummus. I, I can't, like, hummus always has this uh, acidic taste uh, and this, like, richness that I, I just don't think should be uh, uh Fused with chocolate, ever. So. <laughs> I just, um, yeah, I think uh, I think when you say chocolate hummus, it's the perfect representation of this postmodernist world we live in. Because hummus, yeah. hummus, hummus is a is chickpea. Hummus in Arabic means chickpea, so you can't just change that, right? So don't change it, please. <laughs> Has anyone here eaten chocolate hummus? Is it really a thing that people are? No, I'm, I'm afraid to get it. My kids have enough chocolate, so if I get to get most of this chocolate, sounds like chocolate spread, and I'll claim it's healthy. Like, I accept uh, chocolate halawa. That's fine. That's, okay, it's good. <laughs> I'm not going to deny that, but halawa is meant to be sweet, so. Exactly. Yeah. Chocolate and halawa. Chocolate and halawa mix. You know, uh, to answer your question, uh, Danny, I used to make this cookie dough out of chickpeas. There's like a vegan cookie dough recipe, and it's delicious. It, it tastes it tastes like cookie dough, but here's the catch. It's high in protein, it's vegan, and it's healthy. So then when I saw chocolate hummus and whatever, you know, sab, sab, it's just an Americanized version of hummus, right? They need a, you know, the 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 wheels of capitalism need to keep churning out these new products so chocolate hummus is is up next but i can obviously understand why middle easterners would be offended by something so outrageous but if i'm gonna take a guess i'm gonna say it probably tastes pretty good and if it happens to be a high protein vegan and delicious dessert well i'd say that's that's a win for humanity whether it should be called hummus or not that's another question. That's up for debate. Maybe we'll we'll uh, dedicate a full episode just to that. All right. So I think we can solve the conflict by uniting in hatred. 
Çok çok olmaz. But what, what I have tried, um, and if anyone can get access to Vegemite, uh, get toast, Vegemite, it's like a famous Australian spread, it's so like really nice. salty, and then put hummus like on top of it. The saltiness from the Vegemite like adds to the hummus and it's like, it's beautiful if you like Vegemite. Um, Uh, and then on a more serious note, <laughs> I think um, uh, one of the things that is like evident from this discussion is that clearly, like uh, we have bought, we have been taught things we haven't been taught about the 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 other side. Um, uh, like we haven't been taught things about the other side, which would help us uh, see the other side's narrative. Like it's it's fairly safe to assume that. Each side would teach its own population the narrative that it wants to portray itself in the in the in the good light, not the bad light. So keeping that in mind, I think that is one of the main takeaways from uh, from this conversation. And the action items I would say would be to actually learn more deeper into what the other, what like in, in like not just on your side but on the other side as as well. Um, like, uh, and it's not like I want to bring this up uh, like uh, just to like add on to what Amara is saying um, before uh, in regards to like how Palestinians would have a stigma with the term Zionism um, and like ha- like it, in that same term is like deeply embedded into the Jewish identity so it's like you don't have a stage one agreement when you use that term because for Palestinians they receive it in a different way than Jews yeah. express it so um Like one of the things that obviously how Palestinians perceive Zionism uh, is as the political movement to establish their demographic reversal. And I, I know Daniel said it was never the intention of Zionists to displace Palestinians, but I think you know uh, the majority of uh, Zionists in the in the in the beginnings um, were just indifferent towards Palestinians because they were being forced. We just see in the 40s. We just, yeah, I'm, I don't mean to cut you off. I just wanted to, because I know what you're getting. I know it's, we yeah. see, honestly, even the 30s and the 40s was around that era where we underestimated how much space we needed, how much time we needed to strategically get in all the immig- waves of immigration. Because you can't just have them all pull up at the border at the same time on the same day, isn't it? It's a strategy. And the places that we needed to house them, like I said, that had, My grandma, when she came here, she came here after 48. She lived, the first place that she lived was Kiryat Gat, which was built on yeah. uh, this place. Yeah. So it, it's uh, true what I, you're saying. But at the same time, it's the intention. Yeah. See, I, I, I need you to Google, if anyone, if everyone can Google the Rabbi Chaim Simons, right? Um, like, the thing is, when, like, like because majority of, The Zionists that were that were being sold the dream didn't were just indifferent to the local Arab population. Uh, uh, it allowed the more extremist voices in terms of the people that were pushing radicalization, like radical depopulation of the things. Uh, Rabbi Chaim Simons 
documents these efforts to transfer Palestinians, Palestinians uh, from Palestine uh, since 1895. Um, and that's something which, like, you wouldn't, I would not assume someone would teach you, you know what I mean, about, you know, the early stages of, of Zionism. And I believe that the minority of Zionists at the create the minority of Zionists at the creation of Zionism knew that the only way that they would have a stable basis to create a Jewish country is if they reverse the demographics from Jews being eight percent of the minority of the population uh, to the majority of the population. And even when the waves of Aliyah came, even after World War II, um, they rose from eight percent to thirty percent in nineteen. Uh, fought by 1946, um, and so the the only way that you could have 30% of the population become the majority of the population, whether it was the intent or not of most Zionists at the time, was to reduce the amount of Arabs living in the population. So you can see from uh, 1947 to 1948, the Arabs will go from approximately 1.3 million to 156,000, and like this is this is what Palestinians associate the term Zionism with, you know, wow. the efforts to depopulate them and uh, to reduce them into a demographic minority so that you could have a stable basis to establish a Jewish country and have self-determination. Zionism to Palestinians is simply Jewish self-determination at the expense of Palestinian self-determination. And so I think that's why it's uh, a, a good thing that we uh, it's it's some it's one of the things that we should do in all these like efforts of discussion everything is destigmatize the words explaining to other palestinians that this is not what the average jewish person means when he identifies as a zionist you know he's not identifying as a zionist in terms of specifically referring to your demographic reversal or your depopulation he's referring to like he or she's identity as a jewish person and to fulfill their right of having self-determination just as we have that same right and as i mentioned before in regards to connections like i said connections are in the eye of the, of, of the beholder no one your connection is not more valid than our connection to the land because uh because connections are ab abstract in that way and that's the that's the thing as a, as a uh, in terms of having that respect for each other is respecting both of our connections to that land and having them both validated by, by mm -hmm. the other side and i think that's a yeah. good stable basis to create a foundation of one respectful dialogue and a way forward for us to come closer together agreed uh, yeah i would also say people that really care about I'll be super quick. People don't really care about labels that much. The one good thing I can think of, I don't know whether it was Abbas who said it, probably the only good quote I can think of him saying, or maybe it was uh, Saeed Barakat, um, who said something like, um, uh, like, uh, give us, you know, our rights and we'll acknowledge you as the the North Korean state. Like, we'll, we'll acknowledge you as whatever you want. I mean, we really don't. For a lot of Palestinians, they also just, you have to understand how how, how little they are invested in in this history right now i mean they they don't care they they honestly don't care um and uh i mean yeah I mean, they, they have no reason to care right now so what zionism means for you know israeli jews um uh you know why they should they should understand that your presence here is any different to that of um uh you know uh, any colonizer of the british or the ottomans or the byzantines so you know we are you're talking about tribes that are very used to another group of people coming into the country um, and uh, running the place. 
So for us, I mean, understanding that this is different isn't isn't going to happen until after reconciliation. I mean, uh, once you begin conversations, whether where you are, once you begin a conversation where you're meeting like Palestine, what Palestinians consider justice, which I really don't think is a threat or uh, um, even a detriment to Israelis. I mean, it actually you know, you're talking about building a better country in every in every way, shape, or form for both people. So the the two ideas aren't aren't at odds with each other, but we're not that obsessed with terms. It's just that ultimately, it's it's, it's what it means today. What we associate with the term changes over over time. So the average person doesn't even want to partake in that sort of debate. I think that at the end of the day, we both have deep love and like Jason and everyone else said, connection to this land. And I think that needs to be the basically common denominator when building our common narrative. It's focused on the love we have for this land. And I think that would open the minds of many to understanding each other's narratives. We're not fighting over this land. We both wanted to prosper. And so there is no land without the two of us. And the more we put that into our narrative, the more we talk about it, the more I as an Israeli will come to a Palestinian and say, oh, look, you guys were raised to hate me. Look at what I saw. And then you're like, "Uh, no. This is actually what happened. And when you come to me and say, yo, Israel's doing this and Israelis think that. And I'm like, uh, no, you know, that will create just a common narrative, common dialogue. And inshallah, also a common identity, um, mm. like, you know, an ultra one, one of yeah. these, this land, people of this land. Um, I, I think, I'm sorry. No, no, okay, okay, you can. Yeah, I, I think um, we have to acknowledge that the situation is not sustainable for neither sides. It's not sustainable in the long term. No, nobody's, nobody's absolutely in good shape, let's say. Um, uh, so that's, I think, to answer Amr's question, that might be the reason where we say, yeah, we need to change because eventually it will explode into something really nasty. So um, that's the main point. I think in terms of moving forward, it's also, when we talk about narratives, the word narrative itself sometimes gives me anxiety because it's, it's talking about lived experience versus the objective truth. And we need to be able to look at things with an objective eye an objective mind and accept that there are truth, there are, there's data, there's, you know, there, there are things that are verifiable and we need, we need to work from there. Um, but the key to all of this, and I said it before and I'm going to say it again, is empathy. And while, you know, in certain situations, because of, con- let's say, continued carnage, it's hard to care. You get into, uh, um, state of apathy, and that's true to a certain extent, I don't think empathy will ever disappear from human nature. So we need to work on that. I think that would be my my final note, is empathy, work on establishing empathy, empathy on both sides. Mm-hmm. Sure, my turn. Um, so I had an interesting conversation earlier this week, I think, with with Abu Omar here, 
we were talking about, you know, if we if everyone was going to live together, how each side would would fear the the other sort of taking over their land. Like Israelis think if we give the right of return to Palestinians, all the Palestinians in the world will come here and like take over the whole place. And I was wondering, and I don't think that's realistic. I don't, you know, I think we need, we as Jews need to be confident in the fact that we're, we're here and we're rooted and we're not going anywhere. But that, like, I wondered if Palestinians felt the same way. And he was saying, yes, if you had, if you, they're worried that if we live together, the Israelis will just buy up the whole place and they'll bring in, you know, more people. So both sides are sort of afraid of the other and don't realize how, you know, how strong they would be if they, you know, in this conflict altogether. And if they were to live together, you know, they, they're all, they're looking themselves at the weaker party. And I think that the perspective, I, 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 you know, I don't know how to say it, maybe metaphorically, you have to look at yourself. Like you're like a, a very strongly rooted tree. Like you're, we're really not going anywhere. Like the Jews we're, we're, we're here from thousands of years. And that, that's how I, I sort of see it. And you have to look at the Palestinians as like, you know, as like a delicate garden that you actually care about and you want to want to preserve and keep. And regardless of what happened with the Zionist history, they didn't look at it that way. They didn't they didn't care about the Palestinians. You know, there were some of them that wanted to live with them as equals. There was like, you know, small minority groups or some that didn't so much care. But they didn't want to, like, make the Palestine flourish for the Palestinians. They thought about it for themselves. And that's that's the app, the perspective I guess a lot of people have been touching on is that we, uh, you need to actually care about the other side. And I don't expect that all the Palestinians, while I'm occupying them and some of them are in the diaspora and whatever, are going to really care about you know, my, my roots and my history here. But I'd hope that if they see that if we actually care about their freedom as much as we care about our own, then they'll start to see that we, the, the truth that we do have roots here for, for thousands of years and we're not, we're not going anywhere and, and hope that they would see us as something that they want to see flourish here and like uh, something precious to them. And, um, and that's, that's sort of what I'd like to see grow in the, in the mindset of both of us. Rafi, I think it's easy to feel that way. Um, I mean, I, I, I was interested in learning the history because of talking to people like yourself, right? Um, so that that's part of it. So, it, yeah, um, having these sorts of conversations is what makes that happen. Um, anyone else for final thoughts? I, be, I believe, Amiel, you still need to go. Karma... And I believe that's it, right? Yeah, Mila and Karma. And Daniela. Yeah. So I think I saw in the commentary, like someone said, uh, they don't miss Ta Hooper. So yeah, I know uh, some guys <laughs> remember him. I know him. But in the end, people like Star Hooper are the one who are the problem. And to solve this problem, you need to speak with them. Like, you cannot just say, let's not speak with him because he's insulting and he's, you need to go over it because you're over the insult. You want to fix this conflict. Like, mm. the insult don't, should not get you. That's what I mean. Because when, when you just don't want to hear the other because he's insulting you, then violence, violence will come after. <laughs> Simple yeah. as that, because if there is no talking, there will be violence. So, I myself, in the past, talk with Hamas member. <laughs> yes, it's so on the phone, but really, I spoke with Hamas member. Like there is Hamas member with internet connection, speaking in the internet, and I had the 
I don't know if it was chance, but probably chance that one was talking English and I could talk with him. It was from uh, Al Jazeera commentaries that we began to talk with each other. And if I was stopping to talk because he began to insult me, I would never had the conversation I had with him. And I can tell you, it was a great conversation in the end. Like, really? So even Hamas members, they are human. And even if you don't agree with them, you need to talk with them because in the end, we need to deal with them too. So that's my thought about the things that Star Hooper saying. I, I personally spoke with him and we had also a great conversation, even though we didn't agree on everything. I think it's okay to not agree to be insulted, but you need to try to go over the insult because in the end there will be people that will begin to insult and then they will change their mind. Like at the beginning, I was pretty radical and I was also insulting and aggressive and I changed it. I changed my mind. So what you want to reach is the people who are insulting. Like it's pretty, it's hard, but that's who you want to reach because here we pretty much agree and recognize recognize each other. And we want to reach those who don't. Beautiful. Yeah. Uh, Danielle, you gave final thoughts, correct? Oh, you mean me? Yeah. Um, no, I haven't given it out. No, I, I was, I was, Dan, uh, Dan, sorry, we have or, Daniel yeah. and Danielle. So Dan, yeah. Danny gave final thoughts. Daniel yeah, Albo and Karma. Okay, yeah, cool. Yeah, so I didn't give it yet. Um, I think, like, also you talk about, like, Amir also said that you change. Like, to me, too, I was also, like, before, like, a way a lot of Israelis see it is, like, you care, A, first of all, security. It's, before anything else, you don't learn about anything else other than security. We have threats. Once you learn about, of course, the displacement, and then after, you you learn about the displacement. You're like, well, if they just want to come here and ask to be free, how how are we going to get what we want? Like, as Jews, have things that we want, and we will invest in it so that it comes out as an outcome. And what I thought is actually um, uh, Abu Amar, he gave me a really good option, which is federation. And a lot of Jews don't even really know about the federation. And I just want to end off this whole thing by anyone who's watching this who has any ideas about like how we can go about with a one state and a two state and whatever. Think about federation. Why? Because it gives um, actual Jewish like self-determination as a culture and as an ethnic, ethnic group. And at the same time, it gives that to the Palestinians. And if there's Jews who are listening to this, it's like, well, I feel they don't feel safe. There are many Palestinians who agree with it, agree to this federation map that actually the Golan Heights, the Negev, and the central part of the West Coast is all Jewish, and they accept it as Jewish. So I think we need to learn that. There are people who are willing to learn our story, but we have first have to learn about them. Yeah. Awesome. I think it's down to karma now. Yeah, karma. Karma. Hey, um, I think like a huge step forward into like finding a solution would be acknowledging the the past events of both uh, both nations, and just like accept it for what it is, like the acknowledgments of actual historic events. Because we Palestinians didn't forget, will not forget about like seventy two years of seventy two years of occupation. 
as much as Jews didn't forget about 2,000 years of uh, expulsions, for example. So, like this, this, this point, like we should we should acknowledge this point for starters, like to initiate uh, a ground basis for us, for both of us to find to find a solution. Because, like, I don't expect a Palestinian who lost a family member, for example, or like who lost mm-hmm. beloved ones from like the occupation, to to come to peace or to come to terms with everything, unless like the other the other party acknowledges its mistakes and vice versa. And yeah, I hope we we can discuss the federation more often than uh, this debate. That's yeah. it. Uh, thank you all so much. Um, two and a half hours, they f- it flies like it's nothing when we're having these meaningful conversations. Uh, a big thank you to, uh, to the viewers and to chat. The chat today was super respectful, better than most. So I really appreciate everyone's contribution here today. And uh, to our guests, Amiel, Amar, Jason, Daniel, Izzy, Omar, Danny, Rafi, and Karma. Brothers and sisters, it was a great pleasure. I'd love to have you back on for another session. From here, we take it to the lounge. If you enter Discord, uh, can someone please put the link in the chat again? You could also find in the description of this uh, video. You'll enter Discord. You will now be in the Great Debate Discord server where you'll see multiple different channels for discussion based off different categories. You'll see somewhere um, on the left side, it says voice channels. This is where we have in person, well, not in person, but voice and video conversations. So the after party takes place in the lounge. Enter Discord in the link. On the left hand, you'll see lounge. Click lounge twice. Once to connect, twice to see the other people who are in the lounge with you. And that's it. Um, the, con- the conversation continues, and now it's for everyone else to to join in and contribute. So with love from Tel Aviv Israel, signing off. Until next time, friends. Thank you.